This show is supported by State Farm. You have insurance for your home, your health, and your car. Why don't you have insurance for your small business? So many small business owners think they don't need or don't even know about small business insurance. Protecting a source of revenue is one thing, but so is protecting all of your hard work and your team members. State Farm agents are all small business owners too, so they know how to help small business owners choose personalized policies that fit their budgets. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Welcome to 51 First Dates. I'm Liza. And I'm Kimmy. And we are doing an experiment. And talking about dating. And love. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Cheers. Cheers. Hi, everybody. I'm Liza. And I'm Kimmy. And welcome to 51 First Dates, a podcast where we try to make you feel a little bit bit less terrible about dating but sometimes can't make sentences thank you for being here thank you for listening Liza I love your hair Liza has beautiful new haircut and color right now she is a a ginger queen and it's I love it I just went and did it and it's this is like the first time I'm, I'm really looking at myself in the zoom and it's gonna take a minute it's also it was embarrassing I was like can you keep it as long as you can and the and my amazing hairdresser was like um your ends are fucking dusty like she she had to take (laughs) off like two inches of just dead hair because I have not been taking care of myself so that's how this Tuesday is going (laughs) it's a beautiful Tuesday and you know what today is a beautiful day to be listening to this podcast because we have on a repeat guest and I feel like a repeat guest means we well really you all really loved our guest and we're so excited because today we have an interview with Dr. Darcy Sterling. If you don't remember her, she is a a licensed clinical social worker and she hosts E-Network's Famously Single. Uh, She is incredibly cool as well. She's the the former global ambassador of Tinder and uh, has a New York City practice with her wife, Steph, who is a couples therapist. Darcy works with individuals. It's just, we love having therapists on. We love wise women and we love um, really clear-cut advice which I think Darcy is just excellent at providing so it's very very exciting and we talk about a very special topic don't we like <laughs> we do oh my god that was my cue and Kimmy was just like okay now you no talk. I don't know what oh I'm my god. <laughs> no no you're nailing it and I am not picking it up yes we talk about jealousy which is so I mean we talk about a lot of things we also talk extensively about kind of the impact that COVID has had on how we interact, how we socialize, how we are with each other, what we need from each other. Um, all of our, I mean, we truly could talk to to her for probably six hours and I would still be like, oh my God, tell me more, tell me everything. But we also talked a lot about jealousy and where it comes from and how it gets kind of triggered and how we, what we, what we can do when we feel it. And I think it's like such an important topic. Last time we had, um, what, last time we had Dr. Darcy on, we talked about the young adult to do list, which is a lot, you know, was was a lot about like the the points in life we feel we should hit by certain ages and how we feel if we don't hit that. And I think that jealousy played into that a lot. So this time we talked way more deeply about that and also about like 16 other things that are all super interesting. She's definitely the type of person who I find before we even started recording, I found myself like spilling my guts to her because she just was like, how are you? How's this? And I was like, OK, like she's she's just one of those humans who um, has an amazing perspective on everything and is so smart and so thoughtful in her responses and also like unique in her perspective. So we're really excited for you to listen to this interview. Yeah, we're so excited. We'll do a quick consumption corner before we dive in. But yeah, to echo you, Liza, just apologies in advance. And thank you, Darcy, Dr. Darcy, for letting me. Um, I just found myself slipping into, well, in my life, this is how I feel about jealousy because she's, she's you know, a therapist and just it's so, so personal. She likes to get personal with you. I, I just find her work around jealousy really fascinating, too. I think there is a lot that we all don't know about it. Uh, yeah. It makes me feel I'm, comforted that jealousy is such a weird human hole of emotion. I, totally. I'm not alone I've been thinking it. about it since we talked to her, like just even in little things in my life professionally, just like little places where I'm like, why am I feeling this right now? You know? Yep. Oh, I love smart people. Um, I wish I was one. Just kidding. Uh, I'm not trying to. Be, I'm trying to be less self-deprecating. I feel like Dr. Darcy you would not have so liked that smart, joke about Liza. myself. <laughs> so smart. Uh, I, you are. 
I, sorry, that almost sounded like I was joking around. You are no. one of the smartest people I know. So we have to stop with the self-deprecation. Oh my God, but I know. Hard, I just think it's funny to be self-deprecating. I'll save this for my therapy session and not for you guys listening. We'll do our consumption corner. And Kimmy, what are you watching? That was the, that was the worst transition I've ever done on this podcast, which is saying a lot. I'm excited for my consumption corner today. I'm Ooh. not going to tell you what I've been watching because it is bravo, bravo, bravo. But I had some IRL consumption that was really exciting. It was a day full of consuming celebrities because I went to New York Mag's Vulture Fest here in LA. But oh also, God. I was just having some run-ins. The most I've never had so many celebrity run-ins, especially in LA. So Liza, what bachelor person... Do you think I walked by at Runyon Canyon in West Hollywood or Hollywood, really? Was it Tyler C? It wasn't. Okay. It was a, a bachelor. Matt James? No. Not oh my exciting. God. Nick? No. Colton. So. Oh, my God. That's <laughs> well, oh my boyfriend. God. <laughs> That's way more topical. I don't know why the fuck I'm going back in the archives to Nick Vile, who... No, I mean, it's no, it's not like Colton was our all time favorite batch, but it was just wild because here's the best part. I was like, I'm power walking this hike. This is for for those of you who are not familiar. Running is kind of the often made fun of uh, Instagram hike in L.A. However, it is pavement. So your shoes don't have to get so dirty on one path. And it's really intense on your booty. So I was power walking in a very serious way. And I'm very out of shape. All of a sudden. So so I was power walking past Tony, date 13, like to shout that out. He runs up next to me and goes, did you just see who you just passed? So he actually spotted Colton. Oh, my God. But then we passed also, again with his boyfriend. His like, And he's quite tall and body is – he was shirtless. And it was – he's – I'm not into like very mu- – okay, obviously muscles are beautiful. But I was like, oh, man, yeah, you're not a normal human at all. That's like – I – that's a big it's a topical sighting yeah and also the fact that tony could spot colton in the wild just makes me love him even more than i already do which is a lot yeah i can't wait to tell carlin actually i hope she doesn't listen to this before we meet in real life surprise Uh, oh yeah that's big podcast news carlin and kimmy are meeting in real life for the first time ever this weekend yep this weekend Uh, very excited our our lovely dater carlin and i have yeah it feels like we've met but we haven't IRL. I'm so excited because I'm like, ooh, two people like that I love. It'll be so fun. in the same room. Um, that's incredible. There's more. I'm there's more, okay. and I will just try to hurry. And then I went to Vulture Fest where you're kind of signing up to see panels of celebrities. So saw Meredith and Brooks Marks from Salt Lake City. Won't bore you there. Then saw Th- Seth Rogen talk about this new show he has with Sarah Silverman, who couldn't be there. So it was an interview with him. And at one point, he told this story about how he knows he's told it on podcasts. I think too where. There are different types of famous people and some, you know, and he tells the story of him and Will Smith on the lot at Sony. They're talking to each other and a tour goes by and Will Smith turns to him and goes, you know what we need to do. And Seth Rogen runs away and Will Smith turns and takes pictures with all the fans. And he's like that. He was like, that is the difference in like stardom and celebrity and being a good celebrity. I walk out of this event at the Roosevelt Hotel in Hollywood. Sorry, I'm not fancy. This was all like, I got free like fun tickets through a friend who used to work for New York Mag. And I just wanted to do something that wasn't just drinking on a weekday, a weekend. So walk out. Who do we see? All this paparazzi, Will Smith and his family, because the premiere of King Richard was nearby. So it's, that is the most famous person I've ever seen with my own two eyes. And oh I, my God, it, it was right. Like he could have heard because the stage was outside the microphone. He could have heard this story being told. It was wild. I just sorry. I thought it was so cool. That is <laughs> so cool. Like truly sometimes seeing a celebrity that big. I have not. I don't think I've seen anyone like that status just like in the wild, you know, but sometimes seeing a celebrity that big in person like I almost feel like I shouldn't fangirl because you know I like see them on the street and whatever and blah 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 but it is like there is something amazing about it <laughs> it's just like who is more famous than him Tom Cruise I don't know just I'm thinking of like yes. star power movie stars, actors like movie stars fucking yeah movie stars yeah and also like Will Smith is just the best like I'm just so like every I, I, I'm having like a Will Smith renaissance of like oh my god this guy is a fucking movie star like yeah comedy drama music talent 
fucking skill. Like, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, I hope that wasn't too boring, but it was just so effing cool. And I hate myself for loving celebrity spottings, but like, that's why Dumas is popular. It's human. (laughs) Do you know who I saw at Y7 the other day? I think I didn't text you this because I'm only about 75% sure, but I saw Serena P checking into Y7. Oh, I'm pretty sure. Because I, she had a mask on, so I couldn't totally tell, but I heard her talking to the front desk person. I didn't hear her say her name, but I heard her like talking and I was like, I'm pretty sure, but it's too, I'm just not sure enough to not blast out text to everybody. Fair. But well, you've had, you've had of- some great batch sightings. They're all in New York now too, which is why I was like, oh, I wasn't even expected yeah. a TikTok star or something. Anyway, <laughs> They're all got to hang out. Liza, what That's, have you been watching? Sorry. Honestly, I'm not, I don't have anything raucous to recommend so I will I will like let me think let me think let me think I don't it's all the same it's it's drag race it's drag race you can't it's it's fucking it's drag and then you know oh 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 the (laughs) uh new season of curb which you already told me like this is great it's great it's great (laughs) it's just so it's good it's it's comforting in some way to me I don't know yeah it, it hits, sparks joy. it, hits it just makes me feel so good mm-hmm. and I can't I can't get enough so that's the only thing I'll shout out because uh so talking about celebrity settings is way more fun sorry I had to end not at all are you kidding I love it when someone sees a celebrity I it like I want to know everything it's it's crazy there's one day this is still the craziest day that's ever happened to me not really my life's boring but I saw Julianne Moore no 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 our friend Michael, Michael Niku, hey Michael, he saw Julianne Moore and he texted me, oh my God, I saw Julianne Moore and I freaked out. I was like, oh, no, no. Three hours later, I saw Julianne Moore on the street on the same day after he had texted me. It was She's the most such a good New York celeb too. I was oh. like, oh my God, I love it. I love celebrity sightings and um, <laughs> I also love therapists. There's my, there's my transition. Therapists into- are celebrities. We should treat them with the, we should, they, we should have more respect by a million for for therapists okay it's not a competition Kimmy but specifically Dr. Darcy is amazing we think you will really enjoy our interview with her tell us your stories write in 51firstdatespod at gmail.com dm us on instagram 51firstdates um just your stories about jealousy how you've navigated it if you're feeling jealous right now we would love to chat about it I was going to say help answer questions, but do we ever really help? Commiserate. We will commiserate, commiserate. With you. That's what we, we do. understand. We <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Thank you to Dr. Darcy for this excellent interview. We were so lucky to have her back a second time and love you all. Bye. <laughs> this show is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. It's important to protect not only your business, but yourself as a business owner and all current and future team members. State Farm agents know what it takes to run and protect a small business because State Farm agents are all small business owners and they live and work in your community. So they're deeply attuned to what's happening with other small businesses in your market. If you have a small business and are interested in making sure you're protected, reach out to your local State Farm agent to learn more about what you need. They'll help you find the right policy at the right price for your business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we are here with Dr. Darcy Sterling. We've been chatting for a while, so if this sounds, you know, a little abrupt, um, Darcy, thank you so much for being here. We've we've already gotten into it, but we're so excited to have you back. I'm so excited to be here. It's our official second date. Yes, I love that. I know it's casual. It's a morning date. It's a breakfast date. We were just talking off 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 mic about um, how last time we 
met. It was December 2018. We were in person. We were having wine. It was pre-COVID. It was just a different a different time. And now we're on Zoom having coffee. But it's still great. Still a good second date. Absolutely. It absolutely is. Um, it's been such a time warp these last two years, hasn't it? Yes. Uh, 100%. It's been yeah. so weird. But you know what? I love the Zoom thing. I love the Zoom thing. My clients love the Zoom thing. They, you look, look, I mean, who doesn't want to bypass a miserable commute in both directions? I, I just, I think, I think the disruption in certain industries is absolutely going to stick and I am all for it in mine. Yeah, I think that's such a good point, actually, as I think about kind of navigating scheduling therapy with a job or, you know, all the excuses people can give themselves, including myself, not calling anyone out but me, uh, not having that commute makes gives you a lot more flexibility in terms of when you can schedule with your therapist. Um, that's a very 100 percent. Right. I mean, you can literally have therapy in the comfort of your home, your own home. And and it it really widens the lens that the therapist gets to see you in. Cause you're literally at home. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the therapist gets to, you know, just to give you some inside information. <laughs> these are the things that, that I, I mean, I actually don't talk about it because who would want to hear this shit, but like, um, we, we really, we get to see your space, your environment, there's subtext that, and colors that are filled in for us when we get to work with people on zoom that, uh, we don't get in our office. That's so interesting. Um, I, yeah. yeah. Is there, were there any kind of like, I guess, surprises? You don't have to share any specifics, but were you surprised by any of your clients' kind of backgrounds or homes? Well, I wasn't because I've always worked on Zoom. Oh, you've always I've worked on always, Zoom. I've, I've, we've been, we've been using video sessions. We've been using video calls for sessions for, I want to say, more than 10 years, like back when Skype was the only way to do it. And, um, yeah, I mean, we, so there was no, I, I don't remember. So my clients would come in person. Mm -hmm. And then when there was like a traffic jam or any other kind of jam, they would simply, uh, you know, zoom, zoom or like the occasional blizzard, they would just zoom or if they sniffled. So yeah, yeah. I was, I was and am a germaphobe, which has made this whole pandemic so much fun, by the way, <laughs> oh um, we had, we had a, a sign in the waiting room back when we had an office and it said, you sniffle, you Skype straight up. People came in sniffling. I'd be like, listen, I'm an entrepreneur. I don't get sick days. And if I'm out, there are a lot of people that are impacted by that. Not to like, not to over, over emphasize my importance or anything, but like I am expected to show up and support people like lots of people. So I can't be getting sick. Plus, I got to be paying my bills, you know? hundred percent. Yeah. It still is shocking to me in like post-pandemic New York City when I go places and people are coughing. I'm like, stay home. Have we learned nothing? Like it's so- I don't understand it. Mind-blowing. I do not. I do not understand it. And I also don't understand it when they show up at work that way. I'm like, yeah. why would you come to an office like that? Yes. Yeah, it's- That'll that will be a challenge because I yeah <laughs> I wonder what the expectation will be when people are back in the office um even more regularly and you know mm -hmm. I I I understand the pressure of needing to call in I just hope that you know bosses are more understanding about yeah I was pressured to come to work super sick in February of 2020 when I'm pretty sure I had COVID and I took three or four days cow. off and they basically told me I had to come back and I was coughing up a lung at my desk for 10 hours a day and it was like they just were like sorry you have to come we need you we're behind schedule and I was like cool <laughs> like, right great. and so but here's the thing but what we know from the research like and, and from everybody's first person experience is that people were more productive during the pandemic like it's objective truth it's a fact it's not about perspective it's straight up people worked more they were more productive yep and look most of us want a hybrid I do not like being in the house five days a week. I would love to be in the office two days a week or at least one day a week, but that flexibility impacts people's quality of life. You know what I mean? You're on a boring meeting, audio only, you're doing your laundry. I mean, if you don't live in New York. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, it's, it's wild. It's changed a lot of things and even dating segues. 
Okay, so we're going to talk all about all of this, how the pandemic affected relationship. We're going to talk relationships, dating. We're going to talk about jealousy, the new course you're running. But first, we didn't ask you this last time, but I think we like should now because it's fun. Do you have a worst first date story? So I'm pretty sure that every first date led to a relationship. Wow. Which wow. in and of itself is like so curious and cringy, cringeworthy. And uh, I mean, it's so informative about who I am. I'm like a serial relationship person, says the relationship therapist. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? Yeah. I don't think I've been single. I really haven't been single since I'm like 16. I and mean, I don't advise that. I do not suggest that people go through life that way. You know, I, um, there's a school of, there's, you know, there are people who are like, oh, there's no regrets. Everything turned me into the person I am today. I distinctly recall, and I've never lived alone. I distinctly recall, you know, when, when I was filming my show in person, I would go out to LA and I would live there for a month alone in an apartment. And it was a brand new experience. I had never done that before in my life. So I think that alone time is really important to figure out who you are unless your whole life is about helping people figure out who they are. And in order to do that, you need to know who you are so that your shit doesn't get in the way of the work you're trying to do. And that's what happens when therapists don't do their own work. So, um, you know what I mean? I think that alone time and single time is really important for people. It's so good to hear that. Um, I mean, obviously the genesis of this podcast was about kind of the difficulties of dating and going on more dates. Um, specifically, I did as someone who had been single for a very long time and now I'm in a relationship. But I, it's, it's, it's interesting. I now, in hindsight, value that single time that I would like get upset about, be lightly embarrassed about so much more than I ever thought I would, I think. And to your point. Kimmy, are you, yeah. are you still in the same relationship? I am. So I'm still in that same relationship. Wow. Which, yeah. So it's weird. It's and e- But even in this, I'm kind of, I have this weird, not a cringe because I love him, but I feel myself like in some ways becoming like lightly codependent or if that's too dramatic just kind of like oh yeah I actually have always lived with a roommate or now this new roommate who is my romantic partner I never lived on my own and I kind of feel like that experience like having my own apartment again not enough Mm -hmm. to kind of go backwards and real estate in LA is tough so not gonna do that um but to your I just I appreciate you saying that I think that our listeners will too because it's so easy to get caught up in thinking that honestly honestly every first date should lead to a relationship. That's kind of what the pressure some should? of us. No, I don't think it should. But some of us get oh, caught okay. up in that. And we <laughs> feel like the pressure we put on ourselves before we walk in about the other person liking us almost is like that level of this should work out, which it doesn't have right, to do. Right. It's, it's so much pressure. It is so much. My clients feel so much pressure to be in a relationship. And those that are in a relationship feel so much pressure to not you know, question their, they, they're like, what's wrong with me and my partner that I'm even questioning? Like we question whether or not we pick the right partner. If we're, if we have brain functioning above the stem, you know what I mean? That's just what thinking cognitive pe- beings do. We question things. Um, we miss flirting. Everybody misses flirting when they're in a relationship, mm-hmm. uh, especially when that relationship is happening over the span of a pandemic where they're not able to get out and flirt, you know, which is, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's not to say that people in relationships don't get to flirt. You, you yeah. absolutely should flirt, <laughs> you know, be careful with who you flirt with though, because, you know, feelings get caught. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, it's so true. It's like, I, I think that um, the feeling that so many people have that like a first date that doesn't lead anywhere is some kind of failure or some kind of, uh, like it, some kind of like qualitative statement about them. It's so mm-hmm. common and it's so misguided and I've done it. Like everyone's done it. Everyone's been like, they didn't call, they didn't text me back, they didn't whatever. Like it's it's so, when you actually follow that line of reasoning, it's in, insane to think like we will connect Right, it'd be like going on a job interview and 100% expecting it to lead to the career 
that to lead to the job that's going to be the dream career that is going to advance you up, 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 up. And like, I mean, I just think that the expectations are just so unrealistic. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, they are. Now, I'm going to ask you the broadest question anyone's ever asked you. What do you what do you, <laughs> what do you think about post-pandemic dating? How do you think it's do you think the pa- pandemic is going to change dating forever? Like I feel like this year again obviously COVID is still out there. I'm not saying it's over in any way, but I think people are starting to realize like, oh, I do want to go back to the movies or the gym or whatever these things we thought maybe might be done forever. Um, what do you think people where do you think people are settling around dating? What are you hearing? Um, how do you, how do you think, and do you think it's going to be positive or negative? So I think it was, was it hinge that just came out with a statistic that, um, online daters are delaying having sex. It's so funny. I straight up shared that with my niece. I'm like, Hey, I sent her the most random texts throughout the day. Cause she's, she's a millennial, very young. And I'm like, Hey, did you know that um, Hinge recently revealed a survey in which 35% of online daters are delaying having sex? She writes back, that has not been my experience, but that's a very interesting fact. Thank you. (laughs) Incredible. I love your niece. (laughs) I do too. She's the best. Um, But yeah, so I do think, you know, there's some legitimacy in people delaying hooking up. I think that but look, the the changes that have happened that seem to have happened specifically because of the pandemic really are more of an overlap of things that have been happening lo- long before the pandemic. We have everyone's biggest complaint when they use an online dating app is that either they feel like people just drop off mid conversation or the conversations are great and they never they never materialize into an in person situation um, or they meet up and they think that they have a connection and then they you know it fizzles out shortly thereafter all of these problems existed before the pandemic and they're they're a result of online dating expanding our exposure to people and expanding our choices. We have choice overload right now. You know, online dating is a straight up part-time job. The amount of options that are out there, the amount of effort that goes into responding to people and, and trying to determine who you want, who, who you're interested in matching with, it's so time consuming and it's, and it's so easy to feel like, particularly as a woman who society, as much as it's changed, it's stayed, sadly, there's so much pressure on women to be in a relationship. Our value is so informed by the extent to which and the quality of our relation, we're in a relationship and the quality of our relationship that, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's a pain in the ass online dating. And it's very easy to personalize people dropping off or thinking that you had a really good kid. And it's just not about you. Like, it's just not about you. Like most of life isn't about us. How people treat us is about them. It's really not that much about us. It's a little bit about us, but it's mostly about them. So the changes that I think we've seen in the last year, notwithstanding the delayed sex thing, I definitely think that is informed by the pandemic and like, hello, good, because, you know, this shit was killing people yeah. and, and still does, still does kill people. Maybe not the greatest demographic, the largest demographic that utilizes online dating, thank God. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I can't even imagine being single during this pandemic. But then again, I can't even imagine how I lived through being in a relationship during this pandemic. Because can I just tell you, like you had two therapists. So my wife and I are both therapists. Suddenly, I mean, people thought we spent time together a lot because we shared a practice before the pandemic. LOL. Oh, my God. The amount of personal space that we had pre-pandemic. 
was just epic. So how anybody, how any of us made it through this pandemic, again, not to say that it's over, but please God, let us be, you know, phasing into a new chapter of this really awful book. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think that it is crystallized for a lot of people. It's caused them to pause and question what they really want in relationships and what they want out of life. I know it's had that impact on me. Um, You know, existential crises have a way of doing that to me. Uh, I try to stay out of my head as much as possible because I could turn, you know, a rotten apple into an existential crisis. (laughs) But I straight up, you know, was reevaluating everything, you know, if not now, when it really, it lit a fire under my butt. I thought I was fuel injected before the pandemic, but it really lit a fire under my butt, um, you know, to get me to create, begin creating the life I want now, stop delaying. So I think that people who may have casually gone online for, you know, done online dating, I think that it's caused a lot of people to pause and really question, why am I even doing this? What is it I want? And I do think people are more transparent now about what they want which is good because if you don't tell people what they want, what you want, you're never going to find it online. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And it's so true. Like, I feel like there's been so much, obviously on this podcast and everywhere, we talk so much about how, how tough it has been to be single during the pandemic. But I think that it gets talked about way less how many relationships have been pushed to their breaking point during the pandemic and how, like, I know so many people who feel so miserable inside their own homes in yes. their relationships and relationships that have ended. And those are like the the people who have been brave enough to end their relationships because they realize yes. that when put under pressure, it didn't withhold it. And it's, re- I mean, that, uh, this is something we say a lot that like being in a bad relationship is so much worse than being single because it, uh, when you're single, you can do whatever you want. But when mm-hmm. you're in a bad relationship, it's you can't really. So I feel like it's, yeah, everyone has had, I, I really am starting to come to believe that every single person had an existential crisis in the pandemic because like, of course they did. How could you not? But mm-hmm. I think that happened to a lot of people who are in relationships who are maybe just like not talking about it. Right. And I think that what the pandemic did was it, similar to what celebrity does is it just illuminates the problems that already were there and, and magnifies them. And then there's no escape from them because if you're together, you're trapped together. Uh, And if you're not together in the same place, then chances are the problems that preexisted before the pandemic had, they may have had something to do with proximity and not getting enough connection and not getting enough access to one another. My wife and I, like we were up to three times a week, couples counseling. I was like, oh, we are going into couples counseling yesterday. Yesterday, because every day I'm vacillating between homicidal and suicidal. And like, with this going to kill our brand and it's not good for our clients. We, we have got to keep our shit together. Like it's not, it's not even an option for us to fall apart. So, um, and I remember, I remember go, I, I was like now in hindsight, I can, I can see the deep, the, the marcation, the, the marcation of time in like, okay, so we, these were the months where we were seeing the therapist three times a week. And then we went down to two times a week. Then we went down to one time a week. And now thank God we are in a place where we're able to you know, hit pause on that stuff, but it's always pause for, you know, I, I want people to always be in and out of couples therapy when they're in relationships and their own therapy, because we should, we should listen to me, like imposing my value system on others that I don't even know, but I believe I want to be a person who's always growing. And if I'm only going into couples, listen, I didn't wait till we were in a crisis. I saw it coming. I saw it coming and similar to going to the gym, like I don't want to wait until I have 20 pounds and like 20 extra pounds on me to hit the gym and start doing something about it. 
I want to do something about it when, you know, when I see it coming. And so I want to encourage people to get the support that they deserve before they need it, which is an important distinction. It's so important. And I love that you, you know, recommend getting that help before you need it, both for couples and for personal therapy. Going to be totally honest here, you know, I I went to therapy before I had a crisis and it helped me be to be in therapy personally. But somehow when I've thought about couples counseling, I feel like it's a sign of defeat. I don't feel that way about going to therapy as a single human. So it's it's just That's so interesting. It's the preconceived yeah, no, notion. It's so interesting. But here's the thing. It's the what? It's just this preconceived like societal notions. I don't in my heart of hearts I don't actually believe that. But when it comes to like me pulling the, the trigger on that, it's yeah. I get very it's just it's just I'm in real time realizing how antiquated some of my thoughts still are, despite talking. But they're societal and cultural thoughts. Like walk around and tell somebody that you're in couples counseling. They're like, you guys, okay. Like what's going on? You know, they immediately assume that it's because there is a problem happening. We don't have to wait until the, the tire is blown out to patch the leaky I mean, we all deserve support. Mm-hmm. These metaphors suck, by the way. They were much better with <laughs> wine. I'm just much better with a glass of wine in me than a cup of coffee. It's just Same. a given. You're going for it, though. I keep starting sports metaphors to illustrate things, and I cannot underscore how little I know about sports, but I'll be like, it's like par for the... Yeah, metaphors are 100%. I didn't even know that that was a sports suit. metaphor. I did not even know that was sporty. Oh my gosh, and me neither. I'm the least sporty person there is. And I invariably try to talk about, I try to use examples that I know nothing about. Yeah. They're everywhere. The patriarchy. So, uh, Just kidding. Women love sports too. But, 100%. <laughs> Internalized misogyny. My, <laughs> no. Right. Internalized right. misogyny. There it is. Kimmy, what yeah. you said about couples counseling yes. and feeling like this resistance to go into it because like feeling as if it's um, an indication that there's a problem in the relationship. I just want to touch on that and say mm-hmm. that that, is, that was one of the reasons why my wife and I created one of our online courses, which we're supposed to launch every year, once a year and haven't launched in three years and running now because we've been so busy creating new course content, which we'll talk about in a little while, but our the course that we're best known for is called Relationship Skills Bootcamp. Mm-hmm. Not available, not a pitch, but I'm just <laughs> saying that like the whole reason we created that course is because nobody teaches us relationship skills. No. Nobody. And yet we're it's it's the hardest thing in the world to navigate. We learn relationship skills from our parents and who had a, a greater than 50-50 chance of of being divorced themselves. And if they were in a relationship, how many of them were actually happy? And even if they were happy, you know, seeing people who are effortlessly good at something is sometimes puts you at a disadvantage because you're not learning. You know, it's like watching, oh my God, I'm going to try a sports analogy. It's like watching a great athlete who looks effortless at what they're doing and thinking to yourself, oh, I can do that. You know what I mean? That's a good one. And, and yes. yes. Versus somebody who who's like so uncoordinated like me and is like, okay, you take the ball, you put it in your right hand, and then you, I don't even know how to ex- advance this analogy, but like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm so uncoordinated that if I were to try to teach somebody how to throw a ball, I would have to break it down to its most basic essence. And describe the whole thing, whereas somebody who knows how to throw a ball just takes a ball and throws it. So it's not necessarily an environment where you're going to learn relationship skills. So we made this course so that in a peer, in a in a finite period of time, singles and people in relationships, it's it's for individuals, whether you're in a relationship or not in a relationship, it's for an individual because you know, I am an individual therapist who teaches relationship skills. And I have found over the years that if I can just teach relationship skills to one person, I can impact the entire relationship because they're airborne. Good relationship skills are airborne, just like shitty relationship skills are. Is it okay to curse? Oh yeah. Oh, please. Oh, okay. Sorry. Great. We didn't mention that. Um, (laughs) Fuck yeah. No, no, all good. So 
so we built this course so that people would come out of it with this foundation in of skills and know how to navigate their relationships instead of hoping to find the one person on the planet who is not going to needle your historical issues, which that person doesn't exist. You know, we, we try to pick the right partner, which I say in air quotes, which nobody can see except you two, but we try to pick the right partner. And the reason we try to pick the right partner is because we're actually trying to bypass the hard work. We're trying to find a partner with whom we're going to have the easiest road. And there is no such thing as an easy road. We see conflict in relationships and bickering as an indication that something's wrong instead of, hello, it's just a normal part of being in a relationship. It's, a, it's the second stage of relationship. And so if every time you hit conflict or you find yourself in a pattern of bickering that you can't get out of with your partner and you, you think, oh, it's time to bounce, can you guys hear that siren? I'm sorry. It's New York. It's fine. Yeah. These things happen. It. All right. Yeah. I mean, anyway, you know, if you bounce every time you guys, you and your partner hit a rough patch, you're bypassing such a great learning opportunity and bonding opportunity with your partner. Cause when you know how to navigate conflict, when you know how to have a fight appropriately, your life is just, you you can, it's a superpower. It's a superpower. Now, knowing how to do it and doing it are two different things. And I'll tell you that as somebody who teaches this stuff, it doesn't always mean I want to use the tools. Yes. You know, I, you can be you can be willfully uh, lazy, and which I'm guilty of more often than I care to admit. So, to your point, that's why we need more products that provide people with the ability to learn the skills and allows them to bypass the stigma of going to couples counseling, because that's part of why we built the course. We were like, we teach the same skills to every single person. My wife does it with couples. God only knows why I work with individuals. It's much easier. <laughs> and, you know, we we're both regurgitating the same tools and skill sets again and again and again. And we see the cycle of learning with our clients. We have clients further in the process. We've got our newbies. We've got our veterans who can finish our sentences for us and actually chat, not actually, but truly challenge us to think of new ways of explaining things and of, of, you know, the next level of skills training and relationships. We've seen these cycles and they're predictable. And so we put it together. We, you know, there's no reason why there shouldn't be. I should have lots of competition and I don't. This is a call to action. Anybody who wants to make a relationship skills course, do it. Well, please be qualified, yes. but then do it. <laughs> we won't. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Love that. It's so true. I mean, especially that thing you were saying about that. Yeah, our, our examples. It's like you can be. Nobody has, we're, we're all taking super imperfect examples. And even if they were perfect examples, we're extrapolating like weird shit from relationships that while well, they were in our household, we were not a part of them. And it's come up, that's come up so much for me in like my individual therapy practice. And it, I think about it all the time in my relationship. I'm like, oh my God, I'm doing that thing that I said I would never do. Because, you know, and it's like, here I am doing, it's just, it's just very, yeah, it's um it almost feels like an unwinnable game. Is that a sports metaphor? Almost. But to compare ourselves to the romantic relationships that we were close to growing up, whether it was parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, like what whatever our kind of familial like parental figure romantic relationships were, whether they were together, divorced, any of it. Like no matter, you know, my parents have a pretty happy marriage, and I certainly don't know that I learned how to do that from being in the household with them. So it's mm. um, it's an, it's just an interesting like thing to think about. You know, no one really uh, can take those lessons and like be like, okay, now I perfectly understand these, and I shall bring them into my relationship. One hundred percent. I left my childhood home swearing I would never be a thing like either parent. And, you know, it's just such a painful moment when you first realize, holy cow, you know, best of intentions, but there, the, you can't white knuckle your way through, um, acting out 
historical patterns. You can't do it. You can pick a partner. And I have been, so I was like, well, I'm definitely not picking. Like I had a dad who was, who was a scary dude. He didn't put his hands on me, but he like terrorized the house and would break shit. And he had a rage problem. And I was like, well, I'm definitely never picking anybody like him. And, you know, as luck would have it, I got very lucky with, you know, I'm married to a woman. Now I had been married to a man that relationship ended not because I'm gay, but because that relationship had problems. Um, and in both partners, they, they're both, neither of them are aggressive, angry people, or at least, you know, I can only speak to what he was like when I knew him. Um, they're both very different people. But what our nervous systems do, not to put you guys to sleep, but if we don't pick people who are like our parents, what we wind up doing is projecting or provoking them to act like our parents did. Because in our nervous systems, we've linked up certain behaviors with what love means. Wow. And so to me, to me growing up, you know, I was told as a little girl, honey, the reason daddy's so mad at you is because he loves you so much. And I was like, so if somebody doesn't lose their shit around me, then it must mean that they don't really care. And so I got very well skilled at provoking behaviors that were out of character for, for both of those spouses. And, um, it, there's no bypassing the difficult work. I had to learn the role I was playing in that. I had to see that. Anyway, so that's that. No, that's, <laughs> I mean, thank you for sharing that. It's so interesting to think about, to be just reminded about our nervous systems and kind of the science of it all. And to not so smoothly pivot to jealousy, which I just really want to talk about with you. I know you're launching or you have a new course around jealousy. Can we talk about jealousy, which is so common at so many different stages of relationships and why we feel it? Like what is kind of intrinsic to our bodies? Is it more societal? Like where where do you see a lot of jealousy? And of course, there are so many different types coming from. And kind of where did your interest in starting this course come from? So to be perfectly honest with you, um, relationship the, the course I was describing before relationship skills bootcamp, it sells, it fixes a problem that people don't realize they have by and large. It, sell, it, it sells pleasure. And as a result, it, it's a harder course to sell. It's prophylactic. Mm -hmm. It's like, hey, before you guys are falling apart and oozing at, you know, your guts out of your pores, take this course and learn the relationship skills that you need to make any relationship work. And so I knew for my next course, I wanted to pick a relationship problem and pull people straight up out of pain. So in reflecting on the biggest relationship problems that exist, you know, jealousy is the third most common reason that people go to couples counseling. It's the fourth most common reason for breakups and divorce right behind infidelity, money issues, and drug and alcohol issues. So I was like, oh, you know, this is a, this is, this'll be a slam dunk. Also I checked the market and there weren't any courses on it. And I was like, this is going to be so great. Yeah. Turns out there's a reason that there are no courses available on jealousy. It's a very tricky thing to fix. Very tricky thing to fix. What I thought was going to take a matter of literally, I'm so optimistic slash, slash arrogant. What I thought was going to take a week or two to put together took six months of 40 hours a week. Like 40 hours a week. And I already work 40 hours a week with my clients. So it was 40 hours a week on top of 40 hours a week because there was, there are no programs out there to fix jealousy, to help people who struggle with jealousy. There's very little research on it. So I had to cobble together. Um, I pulled together research from the two or three different fields of study to find a solution to what turns out to be a very complex problem. So now I'm going to zoom out and explain what jealousy is. So jealousy is a normal human emotion. Everybody has the capacity to feel jealous. It's normal. We see it all over the globe. Doesn't matter where 
um, where you are in the world. We see little children emerge with the capacity for jealousy right around the ages of like four, five. And what we often see is, you know, the, the, the easiest way to remember that is, you know, your mom is talking to somebody else and you get jealous and you're like pulling on her, whatever, her pants or jeans, her apron, whatever it was, whatever era you were brought up in. And, or you're jealous of your sibling, your, you know, the sibling rivalry, um, or you're, you, you've seen kids do it, become jealous, exhibit jealousy in a classroom dynamic where jealousy becomes, and we think that it emerged back when we were cavemen and women and, you know, resources were very scarce. So it was important that people were able to perceive threats and then respond to them to keep, you know, their family members, their, their partners to them and make sure that they were, their relationships were intact. Where jealousy becomes a problem and the kind of jealousy that my course addresses is a type of jealousy that I've coined obsessive jealousy. So everybody knows that jealous girl from middle school or high school. We can all reflect back and remember that there was somebody whose jealousy caused her to either act out scenes in the hallways or maybe at a party, or if she was better controlled, she would just chew our ear off on the phone endlessly, perseverating and worrying about all these what if scenarios with the boyfriend. The type of jealousy that my course addresses is obsessive jealousy and it's for people who didn't grow out of that. So there's a period, there's a developmental age when that kind of behavior and issue and insecurity is understandable and developmentally um, appropriate. You know, we're insecure as teenagers. We're meant to grow out of that. We're meant to get to a place where I don't want to say we can't feel jealousy anymore, can't, can't feel jealous anymore, but we're meant to get to a place in, in our own development where we're able to talk ourselves through concerns and reason with ourselves. People who struggle with obsessive jealousy are not able to talk themselves through their concerns, and they are forever living in what if scenarios. So, and, and these people know who they are. They know who they are. They've been struggling with it for years or decades. And it's their dirty secret because what is, we all know that the insecure woman is not an attractive figure. So not only is, are, are people who struggle with obsessive jealousy racked with a type of torture that they can't get away from in much the same way that people who are anxious or depressed can't get away from it because it's within them. It's not like they can like get away from a partner who's annoying and, and then feel some relief. It follows them everywhere. But then on top of that, there's a level of shame about feeling the way they feel and about thinking the thoughts that they think. And, you know, if they happen to be people who act on them, um, you know, behave in response to their thoughts and feelings, which could be overt and involve the partner, but it could also be social media stalking. You know, how, how relatable is that? Relatable. Um, <laughs> you know, and so that is, that's the person that, that jealousy boot camp, which is the name of my course is, is, has, is built for. Do you struggle with jealousy, Kimmy? Uh, I. It's interesting. As I think about it, I really did in like um, kind of the half relationships and dating. I Like early dating is actually where I feel like I struggled with um, jealousy. Usually, in hindsight, in cases where I had not defined the relationship, but I had a lot of feelings. And then, you know, went just down the, the rabbit hole of tra the sleuth, the detective, the social media detective, the stalking, just being like, I want, who's this girl? And as though mm -hmm. getting, I could ever get an answer that way, you know? Right. And, and so the social media stalking is such a unique problem in and of itself, because 
and we don't talk about this enough, the social media literally provides us with, so what we know is the information, the things that provoke jealousy the most are half stories and half like little bits of breadcrumbs of information. And that is precisely the exact content that we all see on social media. And so it provokes us to dig a little deeper, to stay on social media longer, which then creates this neurological feedback loop. It's for real in much the same way that people who gamble get these neurological feedback loops, particularly with slot machines, because every now and then it pays. So every now and then you're going to find something that kind of feels enough so that you can breathe in your own skin. But more often than not, the very information that you're gathering in this black hole that you're going down is more half pieces of information, more half stories, more vagueness, creating even a greater urge to stay on social media. There's, it's like, it is the, it is the addiction that we don't talk about. Mm -hmm. And it literally is a straight up addiction. Our brains become wired to do this again and again and again. We're getting random hits of dopamine that keep us plugged in. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's not a you problem. It's an us problem. Yeah, that's fair. I know we're coming up <clears throat> on the end of our time together. We'll have to have you back. We, it's been so lovely. But I'm just curious, I guess, as like a parting thought on jealousy, maybe for someone who's listening who relates to what I just shared that I do, especially in early dating, what would kind of be your your high level advice other than, you know, enrolling in your course, but just to kind of like take yourself out of moments like that, whether it's social media or just trying or Venmo or like whatever you're trying to figure out about someone in early dating, how would you tell people to navigate that kind of jealousy? So one of the greatest things about dating is getting to know the person. And if you learn their story through stalking and through doing your own research, you're then in this quandary where when and if the person tells you stories that you already know about, you're faced with two options. You can either lie to them and act like it's the first time you heard that information, or you can tell them that you went ahead and did this stalking and, and that becomes a whole other thing. Aside from that being a consequence to doing to going down that rabbit hole. I think it's everybody's individual right to tell their own story, which is why if a client, if I get a client through a different, through another therapist, um, which happens sometimes, sometimes a therapist will refer somebody to me. I never ask for background information. I want my client to be able to tell me their story and create their narrative because it's their right to do it that way, which is not to say that I don't, you know, I absolutely ask enough questions so that I am able to drill down on some level of truth over time because everybody's perception about their story is somewhat dirty. You know, we see the, the world through the lens, our own lens, which is a dirty one. Everything is subjective. But people have a right to tell us their own story. And part of the beauty of the beginnings of a relationship is being on the receiving end of somebody telling us their story. And how can you be plugged in and truly present and truly connected to that person if you've already done your research and you already know the answers to that stuff? You know, yeah. I, I just think that between that carrot and that stick, you know, Hopefully that's the motivation that somebody can latch on to, to uh, sidestep that, that urge. No, oh, that's great. Totally. It reframes it. Um, totally. We're all dating because we want to feel connection and you don't feel connection from finding out stories about people on social media. No. Right. 
Yeah. Right. Darcy, this has been so incredible. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, We're, as you know, obsessed with you. (laughs) Will you please tell everyone where they can find you, follow you, everything? Yeah, of course. Um, So on the social media, it's Dr. Darcy Sterling, Dr. Darcy Sterling, D-A-R-C-Y-S-T-E-R-L-I-N-G. And you can follow my blog, askdrdarcy.com. And we're going to... And we're going to link all of that below. Thank you so much. We so appreciate it. Thank you so much. My pleasure. It's so great to connect again. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, guys. Thanks to State Farm for supporting this show and helping our listeners protect their businesses and lives. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today.